Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Boss Chick Project. It has been a quick minute since we have talked to you all. Law school, work, family events, and vacations have been keeping our agendas very full, but we could not be more excited to be back to business and back with a new episode. Today, we have an incredible interview to share with you all. We sat down earlier this month with Michelle Walker and Jackie Brand of the Kamloops Y Women's Emergency Shelter. Michelle is the General Manager for Violence Against Women Intervention and Support Services, and Jackie Brand is the Director of Programs of Violence Against Women Intervention and Support Services. Both Jackie and Michelle are incredibly hardworking and compassionate, and the work that they do to support women and families creates a ripple effect of positive change in our community. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Bosses will see you now. Welcome, Michelle and Jackie. We are so excited to chat with you both about the work that you do and the ways that the shelter supports our community. So to get us started, could you explain your personal career paths that led you to this work? Um, so I'm Michelle Walker. I'm the general manager for Violence Against Women Intervention and Support Services, which is a whole um, continuum of services with the Kamloops YMCA, YWCA. Um, and um, I kind of fell into the work a little bit. I finished my human service worker um, program and um, I applied to um, work casual at the, at the shelter way back in the day and um, started working with kids um, and moms at the shelter. And then, um, when I had my own kids, I started working with women um, who were coming to the coming to the shelter and supporting them. And um, I've kind of done a little bit of of everything there through through my career. So, worked with kids, um, worked with our kids uh, counseling program, uh, supporting women uh, frontline, and. Um, uh, doing program director position and then the managing position. So, um, yeah. So, and I've been there for 28 years. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. I've spent my spent my career there. It's the kind of work that really um, it either fits or it doesn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's the kind of work that gets under your skin and yeah. uh, and really becomes. Um, part of who you are and um, it really, I think the, the folks who work um, in, um, uh, in our shelter, but across the, the sector as well are, you know, they find this passion for um, working with and supporting women and working for um, gender equality and and for um, for spaces and places that are free of violence, and uh, I think that's been consistent all the way through for for all of our staff. They find that passion for for the work, and it it sticks. So that's Incredible. my story. Um, I'm Jackie Brand, and I'm the director of programs of Violence Against Women Intervention and Support Services. So Vallis <laughs> is a lot easier to say. Um, I went to 
I can't say I went to TRU, I went to Caribou <laughs> College, which was then University College of the Caribou, which was then, uh, but um, I went with, um, I've always known that I needed to support women somehow in my life. And so when I went to university, I, um, I took a Bachelor of Arts, but did concentration in sociology and gender studies and um, was very passionate about uh, community always, volunteering in community. I worked for nonprofits, uh, uh, volunteered Kamloops in my early 20s. And um, I knew that I wanted to not just work uh, in this field, but I wanted to work at the women's shelter. And my dream was to run the women's shelter one day. So I'm not quite there, but getting there. And um, I don't think a lot of People get to realize their dreams but I'm really close to it and um, yeah I, I was actually volunteering at a few different agencies in town and I wanted to work at the Y Women shelter and the director at the time then said go and get some actual practical experience so um, I was on the board of the Women's Resource Group Society and I volunteered for KSAC on the crisis line and did um, the sexual assault response team had amazing training there. The Count Sexual Assault Center is amazing. And um, then I reapplied at the shelter. And so I was an anti-violence crisis worker doing frontline work for 10 years. Michelle trained me. <laughs> I was a trainer. Learn, learn and continue to learn so much from her. And um, then I, I, at the time, I was the ED of the Kamloops Arts Council as well, working both jobs and uh, when there was an opportunity for me to come to the shelter in a management position um, it was an easy decision hard to leave the arts council but easy decision to knowing that this is what i wanted to do this is what um yeah like michelle said this is what i'm passionate about this is what um in all in all of the things that happen at the shelter, the joy that you can still mm -hmm. find in it and see the hope and the promise in people's lives is just, um, yeah, needed to be part of my life. So it was uh, quite an easy decision to go there. And um, yeah, so 18 and a half years later, uh, here I am. Oh, and um, I wanted to say uh, the people at the shelter, I think, um, I can't remember which staff it was said that in order to work in um, the shelter and in Ballas that you had to be not quite right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> which which we have to kind of agree. It, it's, a, it's a different, um, you have to have a little bit of a different soul to be there. Interesting. Well, you both are very passionate about it. You can, you can tell. Can you guys give us a little bit of information about the services that the shelter provides and the services in Kamloops? Yeah, for sure. We, um, we have a 23 bed house. That means we can have 23 bodies <laughs> um, in our house. Sometimes we have less than that. Right now with COVID, um, we have less at the shelter. We also have an extension site um, to make up for some of our capacity um, challenges with COVID. And really it's just our physical layout of our house. So um, each two rooms shares a bathroom and uh, um, each room has three beds in it. And so we have, um, normally we would, you know, be able to house a number of women and kids at the, at the shelter. But um, with COVID, we um, can only house um, one 
family or a single for every two rooms. And so our extension site helps make up the, the space. Um, and we provide um, a safe refuge for women and kids. Um, uh, sometimes women have kids um, when they come. Sometimes they have kids, but their kids aren't with them. And some women are coming as as um, single adults. So um, we kind of get the whole the whole range. Um, we provide all of the basic needs. So food, shelter, we have some clothes, donations of, of clothing and toiletry items. Um, we have laundry facilities. Um, and then we provide all those other pieces around um, you know, some of the emotional support uh, that folks need, helping people navigate systems, which is super challenging when you're doing really well and you're feeling and you're feeling well. Systems mm -hmm. are already difficult to, to navigate and they're super challenging to navigate when you're in crisis and, um, and the world feels really overwhelming. Uh, already. So um, we help them with um, navigating those. Um, we have, uh, we're fortunate um, over the past year to have gotten a um, housing outreach worker who helps people with sort of navigating. She doesn't help people find housing. She doesn't have a magic wand. Um, housing is, <laughs> yeah, does. housing's in short <laughs> supply. And in our community but communities across Canada and um, but she is there to help um, help folks sort of navigate like how, how do you make a good impression with a landlord or mm. you know what do you how can you you know budget or you know any of those um, skill pieces that people need help and support around learning um, we don't always learn all that practical stuff as we're growing up and uh, so sometimes having those supports, it can really make it such a huge difference. Um, and we um, we also provide um, uh, some outreach services in the community as well. So sometimes women don't need to access our uh, residential services right at the shelter, but they certainly do need the ongoing support and um again navigating systems and figuring out what to do next and who do you who do you get support from those kinds of things so it's lots of those practical pieces so we have and chelsea's a one woman show rock star oh, totally at, at, yeah she's she's amazing and um and then we also provide supports for moms and kids so we have somebody in the house who works specifically with moms and kiddos, as well as we have our peace program, which does some ongoing supports with women and or with um, kids and uh, the um, parent who has or caregiver who's mm -hmm. experienced violence. And uh, so that's also something that's available for, for people to access. Is so it a little bit of everything. 24 7, 365. It, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. Always there. Sometimes the hardest times are the middle of the night when nobody yeah. is around. And yeah. and we really encourage folks to phone. There's mm -hmm. always somebody on the other end who's there to support you. 
and uh, help you with sort of getting through the next little bit of of your night and get you reconnected and and feeling not quite so alone is there a limit for how long people can stay yeah yeah, I was going to say, I can yeah. that. There's, um, our, we're contracted by BC Housing mm-hmm. and our contracts say 30 oh, okay. days. But yeah, we know though that it's um, 30 days is really unrealistic. If you think about if you lost your housing today through mm-hmm, no yeah. fault of your own, how quickly you could get um, your finances together, some legal pieces movers, yeah. <laughs> uh, storage, yeah. all the other items that you would need to get to place it, it would be, um, it'd be truly difficult. So the families that stay with us, uh, I think our average, our average is longer now with COVID and with the housing um, prices and the rental, um, uh, yeah, there's just nowhere to rent in town, but what, probably 90 days, Michelle, yeah. until yeah, about 90 days. And, and our funders completely understand that um, we can have these families stay with us that long. And, uh, but while they're there, uh, they, the supports that they get um, with the frontline workers, like Michelle was saying, you know, they can help them navigate lots of the different systems. We can get them connected to other um, agencies in the community, like the Sexual Assault Center, EFRI, mm-hmm. ICS, um, anything that they would need um, to to help them go along the path that they're choosing, and um, they it's actually it's really neat to have the the women and families in the house. We yeah you know, we don't often when we're talking about our work we don't often call it the shelter we call it the house because it really is like Michelle said a big house. Um, yeah, the the families and women that stay there. Um, you know, we've got this awesome kitchen where they sit down and we um, can have coffee with masks and flexi right now, which isn't as conducive, but still is really um, amazing to have these meetings with the, the women and, and the kiddos. There are movie nights and there are there's art and um, we've got a playground that um, kids can go out. We have decks we can sit out. We have a Zen garden where we actually grew uh, food this year so there's a couple um, families that got to actually go pick some tomatoes and zucchinis for the first time um, and having um, them there and just having them feel safe while they're there is so important so important I think most people think of the shelter and they think oh it's going to be like a big dorm room with bunk beds and everybody has to stay together and there's one bathroom and it's going to be horrible and and it's really not um you know it is communal living and that can sometimes be challenging but everybody has their um has their bedroom space um we really work to make the house to be friendly and welcoming and warm uh, lots of people are surprised when we see that there's a lot of laughter that happens. Uh, you know, that's a really important aspect of of being at the shelter is to start to be able to laugh again. Yeah. Um, and it it really um, helps people shift um, where they're standing <laughs> and how the, you know what they're standing in sometimes it's really easy to get really stuck in in the crisis that you're experiencing and we definitely have those 
times with women and we hear a lot of difficult stories and we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of tears and um, a lot of trauma that's happened, but there's also a lot of hope that's there mm-hmm. as well, which is really amazing. And the, the folks that we help are um, our biggest teachers <laughs> more than anything. So, and really. Uh, Cassandra was mentioning, I'm starting the law program right now. And one thing that I'm a part of this pro bono clinic and the one that I'm assigned to is all about access to justice. And one of the groups that we're looking at is specifically like women and children in shelters and what kind of opportunities they have. So I was just kind of curious because I, I like three weeks in, I'm not quite sure. I haven't learned anything yet, really. Yeah. But what um, kind of the opportunities for legal help like, and the caliber of the legal help that these people are being offered? Yeah, yeah, it can be really challenging. Um there's uh, sometimes the challenges are just around, can you actually um, qualify for mm-hmm. legal aid? Uh, sometimes people have assets that are over the amount, but they can't access any of that, right? So um, uh, sometimes that's an issue and a barrier for, for some folks. Um, for for some, it's around expediency and like how quickly can you can you get some um, legal assistance and and have a lawyer uh, there supporting you through court processes that need to happen happen in a pretty um, expedited way. Um, we do our um, outreach. Uh, um, Worker is amazing at navigating those court systems and helping women and helping them understand like, how do you access duty counsel and how can you put in, you know, an application and, you know, walking through all of those pieces, um, which has been super helpful. And um, and we really rely heavily on, on duty counsel mm-hmm. in, those, um, in those times. And, um, and then um, sometimes women have fantastic, absolutely phenomenal experiences, and sometimes they don't. And I think that's like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're going to have some experiences that are great and some that aren't so great. And um, really what we found is the ones that have experiences that are um, more positive are the the lawyers who have just a little bit of insight into mm-hmm. what women experience when they are in a violent relationship. And, and that helps them to understand some of the, um, some of the needs and how, and how to respond in a way that is um, easy for women to hear them. So, uh, and we work with them as well to, you know, when you go in to talk to your lawyer they're going to need, you know, the facts and they're not going to need all of the background um, story. And, you know, so we, we try and help them as well understand what they're going to need for when they do go in for an appointment because they tend to be fast. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. The pro bono clinics are really um, super helpful and, uh, so that's really cool that you're part of that. 
I think really broadly, maybe you can discuss the prevalence of violence against women in our communities and maybe discuss how COVID has impacted that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so one in three women um, in Canada and actually globally as well experience violence. Um, it's uh, uh, higher within Indigenous communities. Uh, it's one in five. Um, it's one in six uh, Indigenous women, or uh, uh, um, six Indigenous women are six times more likely to be murdered than non-Indigenous women. Uh, every six days, a woman is uh, murdered by their intimate partner in Canada. Uh, which is a shocking, every time I say it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so, like, that's so hard to wrap my head around. Um, and uh, one of the things that they're seeing and they're documenting and researching and, and um, uh, people have been really on top of understanding what the shadow pandemic mm. um, has been. So um, when the pandemic started, it became really apparent that there's this shadow pandemic that's following. And um, the uh, StatsCan did um, uh, did some research around uh, COVID and um, uh, there is one in 10 um, women were um, afraid of violence in their home during the pandemic um and which is you know it, just that that's you know it's starting to really ramp up it's um yeah and we and we saw that we we were really quiet for the beginning part of the pandemic when everybody was locked down but the calls we were getting were very um disturbing <laughs> people very very stuck where they and were there was a big change with um a lot of younger women um not that we don't get a lot of young women there but um women who were um not in uh our usual demographic either calls from young women um who um had a little uh, before covid would have had a lot more resources and access to right. family right um there's and so the staff were uh really concerned when we weren't getting these calls and all of a sudden these were the calls that were trickling in and not being able to accommodate as many people as we could when um, the women started coming back and also i think it was i would say maybe the first eight months we had hardly any families hardly any families mm -hmm. And um, we assumed and know now that was most most likely due to the fact um, of the restriction of the families, like our inability to make phone calls, um, being isolated, quarantined, whatever it was um, with, and, and like the kids not in school. Mm -hmm. So uh, teachers weren't noticing, um, the women weren't going to work. So there was, uh, you know, no one noticing there you can't see your friends, you can't see your family. So your normal support systems were gone. And um, 
yeah, and it wasn't until they started to open up again, I would say, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they started to open up again, then all of a sudden we got the calls and our hotel was full and our shelter was full and it was a lot of calls and not a, only so many resources that we have mm -hmm. in order mm -hmm. to support them. That was hard. Mm -hmm. and, and they're seeing that globally. It's not just... Um, not just in Canada, not just in our community, but they are seeing that increase in um, calls and increase in police reports. Like there's there's a big increase. And we know that there's um, uh, such a small number, like stats are based on what's reported, right? And there's such a small number of domestic violence that's reported. So, um, Zats can does a general um, social survey, and out of that survey, they know that only 22% of domestic violence um, incidences were reported. 22%. So when we say violence against women, it's not just physical abuse. No, we really. Um, when we talk about violence, we um, always talk about it in terms of. Um, not just the physical violence, but um, emotional violence, verbal violence, spiritual violence, um, financial violence, um, because naming it for what it is. And it's really important that we talk about in terms of violence. And um, sometimes we'll use the word abuse, but mostly violence, because that is the impact it has on the families that are having the violence perpetrated against them. And the emotional violence um, is just as bad, if not worse, and the mental violence that um, families endure are, can be so much worse than uh, the physical violence. And uh, the effects we know are long-lasting. Um, uh, Michelle's so much better at stats than I am, but um, I, we know that um, domestic violence costs um, Canada, I think, billions of dollars. 7.5, uh, I think. Was it? 7.5. 7.5 billion dollars a year. So if you think of all the um, the resources you need from RCMP, the hospital, the teachers, the um, all of the institutions that have to um, be in place in order to um, support the families that are going through violence, plus um, jobs that are lost, and it, it compounds mm -hmm. like that um, just because of the violence. I think it's really good to know because I think there's probably a lot of women out there who maybe don't think that they're being abused or that there's like violence is they're you know they're being abused by someone because they don't understand it might not be just the physical and I think that yeah there's a lot of ways to make excuses for behavior if it's like just emotional um and like manipulation so I think it's really good to educate people on the different mm -hmm. types of violence that there can yes, be yes for sure mm -hmm. And, and, you know, violence can be excused in so many ways. I like um, how, you, how you recognize that. Like it, and I think that, um, unfortunately, in um, faith communities, it can be excused very easily. <laughs> and not all faith communities, but, but definitely, um, definitely some. And, and, and we see that um, harm being perpetrated in a lot of different ways, not just with um, women experiencing violence in their relationship, but, you know, we've seen that harm perpetrated on other 
communities as well. We also know that um, for the perpetrators, violence is a choice. Um, you hear people say, oh, he just lost it, or I, I made him do it. It really is a choice. And, and um, we see that in a number of different ways, but just maybe the easiest example is you have a family. And I, I do speak in terms of, of uh, male violence against um, um, female violence, just because that's our experience. That's the um, who we work with. And we also know a lot of um, men who experience violence. It's other men that are perpetrating that violence against them. So they do experience violence for sure. Um, but when they are, you, you have this somebody who's out in the community, for instance, um, who, uh, you know, he's loved by the community. He's maybe a spokesperson for yeah. an, uh, like an organization. He's this great guy. Um, then he goes home and he chooses violence against his family. You, I don't, unless you make it a choice, there isn't any way that you're going to be able to balance those two. Uh, what's the difference between you having control over, say, at work when someone makes you do it or makes, in quotations, makes you do it um, versus your family? So if you can uh, not perpetrate violence against the people you work with when they make you angry, you can definitely choose that to not do that to your family. That's just a really kind of a layman's way of explaining it. But violence is um, is used. Uh, it's a power and control. It's um, a tactic that, uh, like Michelle mentioned, like isolation, um, uh, making sure that you know people aren't um, they don't see their friends, see their family, and that takes a lot of um, the power away from the families that are experiencing violence. But um, I think it is important in the same breath to talk about the resilience of these families and how amazing they are. Uh, we talk about the families in the house women we work with being some of the strongest women we know. And some people will say, oh, wasn't it? They weren't strong until they, until they left, right? Like they were strong all the way through and made the decision to leave because at that time they could put enough pieces in place that they could leave. There's super smart, super smart, super strong women out there who are experiencing violence all the time and they navigate it so well they keep themselves safe and their families safe as much as they can. You brought up something that I wanted to get um, your opinion on kind of talking about terminology and the and the language we use. And I know it's kind of switched from domestic violence to violence against women. But I've, I've heard a lot of critiques about violence against women as a term because it's passive. It doesn't um, talk about the men perpetrating the violence. So I just wanted to get your thoughts about um, changing that language and maybe we could have a better term to actually put the action back into it. Yeah, we, um, it, terminology and language changes constantly. Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, we still use domestic violence. It's something that is ingrained in our justice systems. So sometimes it's it's you know you use the language that is going to be known by um, who you're speaking with. Um, intimate partner violence is something that um, we use fairly often, um, and uh, violence against women is um, is that broader term. And I agree, it is a passive. 
um, a passive term. Um, and it's also a term that's very ingrained in our, in our systems. Um, and so it's difficult to completely uh, move away from that mm -hmm. term. Um, as far as something that's more active, we talk about women who experience violence, not abused women, because that's not all a woman is, right? Mm -hmm. They're not just the, the, the abuse. Um, and, um, and that also, it avoids that label and it avoids blaming that woman mm -hmm. for, um, for the violence she's experiencing that is not her responsibility. So when, when we're talking with, um, uh, with the folks that we support and talking with community members or organizations, groups, whatever, we talk about women who experience violence and those who choose violence mm. um, and, and really try to make that a, a very um, uh, strong point that there is those two pieces mm -hmm. and that the responsibility always lands with the person who is choosing violence and and i love jackie's example and there's been um, a number of different um, research pieces done around um, uh, looking at the actions of someone who has chosen violence and how those actions are actually um, uh, premeditated to some extent and um, even if that's just a few minutes before, right? And so there is this, this pattern of um, knowing what the next thing is that's gonna happen. Um, and there's also, uh, along with that, um, a lot of research around um, resisting violence, that women always resist mm. the violence and sometimes that looks like I'm not going to look at him as he rapes me because I'm not giving him the satisfaction. And sometimes that means I'm going to look at him and he's going to look me in the eyes when he does this. And he's going to see that I'm not okay with this. You know, so those, those resistance pieces are really there and they're there in small ways and big ways and they happen with women and they happen with children and you know we see them all the time and so when we're talking with women and kids we're we're always pointing out wow that's amazing do you know that you were resisting violence by doing that that's incredible that's you're saying this is not okay with me and to have somebody point that out that you actually um, did something to say no even though you didn't necessarily say no because it wasn't safe to do that mm -hmm. um, you know that that's something for them to hang on to that oh okay I can be proud of myself in this moment you know I navigated that really tough situation so, yeah. There's incredible resiliency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I had a question, but I, that it's honestly listening to you t say that it's very confronting to hear about what mm -hmm. is going, what goes on in all of our communities. Like, I just kind of haven't really ever thought about that 
um, and just I have been very uneducated about what goes on in our community and all communities and I think that yeah it just it it really takes me it, it hurts and it, it makes me feel ignorant to it and that's that's not okay so I think it's really important to educate people on what is going on and that, that's why we're so glad to have you guys I totally lost my question in that though because that was just like very <laughs> well, I, I, th- I appreciate you for, I for sharing that but it, it yeah it, it caused me to kind of take a step back in that yeah yeah. yeah, often we'll talk to, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to groups and um, one of, uh, especially when it might be a group that we um, don't always get to present to, we ask them, um, so how many of you have experienced violence? And um, often maybe one or two, sometimes nobody yeah. will put their hand up yeah. and whether it's the, because they don't understand that what they experienced was violent or they really haven't. But when you start talking about um, your, their friends and their family, and you really start explaining what violence looks like, getting back to that emotional, verbal, um, spiritual violence, like when you really start explaining what it is, you see everyone go, actually, just like your face kind of going like, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about mm-hmm. that. Because, of course, it still is not talked about a lot there's still so much shame around it, which is um, which is really hard. The only way that we can start to move forward is when we name it, when we talk about it. Um, a really important piece of it is um, other male allies that are involved mm-hmm. and, and having them. It's, it's one thing to be sitting at a table and somebody says like a sexist joke, for instance, and, and we go, hey, like they're, and all of a sudden, I'm being too sensitive or I'm overreacting versus my partner saying, yo, buddy, that's, that's not okay. Then it starts to mm-hmm. stop. Um, mm-hmm. They, you know, they listen to their peers. They have so much influence. And so um, uh, you s- will only see some changes when we start talking more about, uh, say, the men, like, why do they choose violence and why do they hurt their families? Why do they... Um, do this to their children mm-hmm. versus why doesn't she leave? Mm-hmm. It's such the wrong question to ask. Yeah. We're coming from it um, at a way too safe yeah. point. If you ask why does yeah. she leave, you're blaming the victim over and over again instead of going back to the source of yeah. the violence and yeah. the source of the problem, the source of mm-hmm. the issue. The root cause, yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's um, often we'll have conversations with folks around um, when we're presenting around, you know, so um, what do you do when you leave um, at night and you've stayed late at work and you're leaving at night, it's dark out and you're going to your car? What do you do? You know, and the guys are always like, I lock up the building and go to my car and drive away. Mm-hmm. And... I said, okay, so, well, this is what I do. Yeah. So first I call someone and I say, hey, I'm headed home. I should be home in about 15 minutes. I'm just leaving now and I'm going to lock up. And then I lock up, but I make sure that I have my keys out. Mm-hmm. I make sure that I have my keys available in case I need to use them yeah. as a weapon. I make sure that I have um, a light that I can shine <laughs> into my vehicle 
particularly if my vehicle's been parked out in the middle of nowhere for a while, you know, and I go through all of the safety things that I have to do every time mm-hmm. I go out. Yeah. And often people have not thought that through. And even other women who are, who are doing all of these things, they're not necessarily thinking about why. Like, why? Yeah. Why do I have to do that when I leave a, a building at night? Like, why do I have to protect myself? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's those quest- asking those questions becomes really important to changing the conversation we're having in mm-hmm. our communities and in our circles of friends and in our workplaces. So always... Um, thinking about how can I flip that question, yeah. you know? Reframe. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the reframe for that? Yes. Especially if it feels like something that's an injustice, right? Yeah. Um, then, oh, is there a different way to ask that question? Is that you know? Should we be mm-hmm. asking about why the woman doesn't mm-hmm. leave? Or yeah, yeah. So. I definitely wanted to talk about what you said earlier that mm-hmm. Indigenous women are six times more likely to be murdered than non-Indigenous women and face so much more um, violence. And mm-hmm. we talked about Stats Canada, and I had a, a quote from Stats Canada just to round it out. Um, it said, Indigenous women and girls are at a disproportionate risk and face among the highest rates of violent and non-violent victimization of all population groups in Canada. So this is in Stats Canada. It's very aware. So maybe we can talk about why this is still persisting, why this specific group and some of those social determinants that is causing this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the racism piece that's uh, systemic in our culture, um, our colonial settler culture. Um, it's, uh, it's a huge piece and um, being... Uh, settler on the lands of the Shwetmik peoples, I can only have this tiny understanding of what that experience might be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's ingrained within systems, it's ingrained within organizations, including ours, and we're working at sort of pulling apart where we're creating more harm um, and how to work work better, <laughs> work in a good way. Um, it's ingrained in our laws and um, definitely within our government systems. And, you know, the we, we work from this framework of intersectional feminist framework. Um, and intersectionality means the more pieces that you have that intersect, the more barriers that you will experience, the more oppression you'll experience. So knowing your social location makes a huge difference. I walk in this world very differently. I'm a very privileged person. You know, I'm, I'm white, I'm educated, I have a well-paying job, I have a position of power you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm part of that system that can do that oppressive, um, uh, oppressive behaviors. And um, somebody else who maybe has um, 
maybe has an invisible disability who uh, has, you know, is racialized, who um, is experiencing poverty. You know, those, all of those intersections are gonna make more and more oppression. Um, and we know that being women, there are huge pieces around gender equality. So for indigenous women and girls, they have so many intersections that they're challenged with and um, it creates such huge inequalities for them, such huge inequalities. So I would completely agree. It is incredibly disproportionate and um, and our responses as a as a country and as communities has has not been enough for that. Yeah. And I think it was in we did our own stats for our transitioned house back in I want to say 2016. One of the staff went through 11 years of handwritten um, stats, and we found that 80. Four percent of the families that stay at the shelter and are involved in our service um, are uh, identify as Indigenous. Mm. Huge barriers, huge barriers, limited resources. Um, Does the shelter provide specific counseling or cultural support for Indigenous women? Uh, we had an elder in our house. Um, very sad to to lose Sally about three years ago and um, COVID hit and we haven't um, had another elder coming into the house because of the risk of COVID so um, that is something that we hope once it becomes safer to be together in community that we can we can have another elder who will come into the house and be with women and, and just, you know, be that presence and, um, and that wisdom holder and, and be able to share that and do fun things like beading and <laughs> making bannock, making bannock. I really miss Sally's bannock a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds good. I think some things that I'm struggling with and that I know a lot of students in my class are struggling with is by being in law school right now, we are actively participating in something that we have are now learning and have learned yeah. has contributed to um, a lot of pain and suffering and chaos over the years. And um, it, it's difficult to, I guess support and learn and choose a career path on something when you see how it can be used um, and how it has been used. Yeah, and it's, it, I think with anything, um, when, when what, one of the things that we're passionate about is change and positive change in our communities, um, is to remember that we can we can be part of that change. So even if you're entering into a system that's created damage um, and harm over the years, you can be part of changing that. And, uh, 
and you know starting with going oh this doesn't feel good <laughs> is is such a great place to be because you're starting to understand really understand the need for change and you know that's that having that feeling and being able to sit with it is what's going to propel you to be able to to create something that's different and uh yeah important work mm -hmm. and oh yeah, so fortunate the amount of learning that um myself that i'm personally doing but is one thing but the unlearning that, yeah. the unlearning is so mm -hmm. big um and 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 i work in an anti-violence field and there are so many assumptions stereotypes things that have been been ingrained in my head with my bias um yeah yeah and it, it every time i learn something i have to unlearn three more um and, and recognizing like michelle said that that privilege that i have the power that i hold um um in the shelter itself even on our staff is predominantly yeah. white um and we you know we're just starting to be able to to make changes with that and hopefully have um, a much better representation um, in our department and in our work that we do at the very least. How do people that are seeking help, like what should they do to as like first steps if they're feeling like they're in an unsafe situation? Like what should they go and do? Resources for them. Uh -huh. Um, you know, we're, um, like I said earlier, we're 24 seven. Um, so we're there all the time. So calling, um, and speaking with us or texting is, um, is definitely, uh, a great option. Um, and, you know, being able to connect with somebody, uh, around what's available for resources is such a good first step. Whether you want to come into the shelter and, and stay or whether you're just looking for information. Um, and uh, and being that 24 seven place, um, it's a good first step because it doesn't matter when you call. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we can, we can help answer. connect you also with different, different resources and, um, so that's that's one of the um, one of the biggest yeah. first steps to make, really. Um, it, we do safety planning with with women um, around like how to stay safe. What do you what do you need to do if you're looking at leaving? You know, so like slowly being able to collect a go bag you know, with a few things in it, your ID, or make copies of your ID and give them to family members um, to hang on to. Make sure you have a little cash with you. Um, you know, the, all of those types of things to sort of get ready to to be able to leave when you're able to leave and when you're ready to leave. We have to remember that not every woman who is experiencing violence at home wants to leave the relationship. Mm -hmm. They want the violence to stop. <laughs> so um, that's, we're hoping that um, in connecting with us, it's actually Chelsea, the outreach worker who does a lot of work 
with um, women who are, are wanting to stay in the relationship and having her navigate around those pieces. And um, in the future, we're, um, I want to say we're hoping to, because it, it's going to be big, but we, um, I, I feel like moving forward, we are going to start working with men and, and the perpetrators mm -hmm. of violence to be able to have families, be able to stay safely in their home. Um, and if not, we will we will we will be here. Um, the shelter will be there, outreach piece, um, in order to get them to point A to point B in the meantime, if that's what we choose to do. Um, how can people in the community support the Y Women's Shelter? First and foremost, like uh, we have um, the families that stay with us. Of course, we have um, we are funded, but we have limited resources, and especially when. Um, we have those 23 beds full, mm -hmm. it, uh, it, it, it spread thin. Um, we don't get a, a whole lot of money to, um, we, we get groceries on a weekly basis and, um, and we get the staples, but we don't have a lot of uh, funds for those extra things. Um, um, we do have, I know it's only October, but we do have Christmas coming up <laughs> and we always are looking in the community for um, agencies, organizations, and families to support our families. We uh, we support a number of families that stayed with us throughout the year, and um, we try to partner them up with um, others that will buy gifts and, and Christmas dinner and trees and treats for them to make um, a Christmas special. And also the families that are in the house make sure the same happens for them. People can make a financial contribution through the Camelot's Y. Um, either online at camelotsy.ca or or um, popping into one of our one of our locations, our downtown uh, locations, probably the easiest. There's some things that we always need. We always need pajamas, especially new pajamas. Like it's fantastic. Socks. Socks. New socks. Underwear. New underwear. Like, new new underwear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have to point that out. First thought. <laughs> <laughs> and those are those are such fun things. Like if you have a, a group of of friends that you get together with and you know, rather than doing Christmas gifts, well mm. everybody buy like a couple sets of pajamas and donate them to the shelter. Like it's it really makes a huge difference for us. We have two kind of fun wrap up questions that we ask every single one of our guests. So the first one's probably the most difficult. A lot of our guests have a lot of issues with this, so it takes some time. But we'd ask that each of you could plug a local business that you think our listeners should support. Well, I'm going to say Brin's Bakery. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. We had, there was the United Way Sunrise Campaign Breakfast. And um, because it's cool when you can't have breakfast, Brin's Bakery made like a muffin mix this delicious oatmeal chocolate muffin mix nice. and you just had to add the wet ingredients and you could bake it i did not get up at six in the morning <laughs> to bake it for the seven o'clock meeting but i did have it on sunday morning and um it was delicious and and there's such a, a a neat couple that own it and um everything i've gotten from there has been delish i have two <laughs> we'll let it Sorry. slide because we'll i can't i can't do one without the other um Bright Eye Brewing, who mm. supported Kamloops Sexual Assault Center with their trivia night. They're amazing, yeah. and they've been selling um, 
uh, Every Child Matters orange shirts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're just just super community involved. And um, I can't mention them without mentioning Redbeards um, as well. So who is also like just so super involved in the community. And and it's really, um, I know it's been a challenging um, time for everybody since COVID started and, and businesses in particular. So, Definitely. you know, having those businesses support the community is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. They've definitely become kind of staples in our community for sure. I'm really enjoying Bright Eye. Yeah. Um, our second question is a little fun too. Um, what would your boss chick anthem be when you need to listen to a song just to hype you up? You know you have a tough work day ahead of you. What is your go-to song? <laughs> That's way harder than the businesses. <laughs> That's way harder. Hmm. I mean, I, I have to say anything by Pink oh, kind of yeah. gets me. Oh, yeah. Totally. My first brain went to Lady Marmalade. Because <laughs> 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 I just love that song. I think like something like Raise, really good. raise Your Glass. Probably. That's a good one. <laughs> I can't think of anything off the top of my head except that it has to be danceable. That works. Yeah. We can work with that yeah. for sure. So that's everything from us. Um, thank you so much again for agreeing to meet with us, for educating us and our listeners. We really appreciate it and we really appreciate everything that you do for our community. And anyone, people can call us, uh, like we said, yeah. 24-7, 365 days. Um, if they have more questions, we are always open to a conversation. Again, thank you so much, Michelle and Jackie, for sharing not only what you do, but educating us about the realities of violence against women in our communities. We come from such a place of privilege that the statistics that were shared were extremely startling, but it presents an opportunity for unlearning, for conversations, and for change. What really shook out for me was the discussion that violence is a choice and reframing that conversation and putting the emphasis in the right areas, ensuring that we commend and admire resistance to violence, however that might look. That was definitely a very impactful discussion for us, and we know that our listeners feel the same. If you or someone you know might need access to the shelter or its resources, call their 24-7 number 250-374-6162 or text anytime at 250-682-7931. For additional information about the shelter or how to donate, go to their website www.kamloopsy.org/vawiss. And with that, the, are out. the office is now closed. And we will see you in two weeks.